Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH, streaming live on all those smart speakers like Amazon Echo and Google Home. After two gun incidents at school, uh, school in the Olympia School District, oh, suddenly officials want to bring back school resource officers. Wow. Shocking. That's what's trending. What's trending in the classroom? The first week of school over at Capitol High School saw two lockdowns. And as a result of that, last night, they had a virtual safety meeting. You know, school just started, too. We're not off to a good start. Now, I I said two gun instances or incidents. In fairness, one was a BB gun, but they thought it was an actual gun. There was a BB gun spotted, and five days before that, there was an arrest because some kid apparently brought a real gun to the school, this according to the police. Now, Como reports that according to the Olympia Police Department, around 8.50 in the morning, staff members were checking hallways and bathrooms during class. The OPD said that staff walked into a boy's bathroom, spotted what they thought was a handgun being handed over to a bath over to a bathroom stall. Now, it was just really over the bathroom stall is my guess. They didn't give the BB gun to the bathroom stall, which, well, you know, I don't know what they do with their fun. Put it in the toilet. Yeah. yeah. So staff called police. Police arrive. They spoke with four people who were in the bathroom. Officers found what they then realized was a BB gun stuffed in a toilet. So it actually did go into the toilet. Darcy Huffman is the president of the school board over at the Olympia School District. I feel like we've mocked her many times on the show before. She says that students have a right to safety, a comment that's just a bumper sticker doesn't mean or do anything. Our students and staff have an absolute right to go to school and work in an environment that is safe and weapons-free. Now, yes, thank you. We've always known that. That's not something new. That's not something we just uh, came to and said, oh, we have a little bit of a light bulb moment. Oh, you know what I think? Here's an idea. Maybe kids should have a a, a general right to be safe. It's, it doesn't mean anything. And, and I cannot stand, can't not stand things like that, statements like that. Because you're not actually doing anything. I'd like you to do something. And now we're hearing the one thing that they might want to actually do is bring together all the leaders necessary to give a thumbs up to allowing for school resource officers to return to the campus. Now, I'm glad they're in that mode. I'm glad they're going to bring school resource officers back. I'm assuming it's going to happen But why must it take incidents like this that could have easily been foreseen for them to decide to make the right move? They made the wrong move like so many other districts, all districts that decided to get rid of school resource officers or simply say we're not even going to consider them during the BLM movement. Every single district, every single district was wrong. They leaned into the political 
fringe beliefs of groups of people who hate cops and will always hate cops. Some felt pressure to do this because they are in progressive areas. The Olympia School District is one of the one of the wokest. I would argue it's woker than the Seattle Public School District. Like they're really, really, really extreme. Others did it because, hey, they finally had cover to do it. They knew that it was going to be controversial to kick off campus the school resource officers, but with anti-police sentiment where it was at the time after George Floyd was killed, well, it was really easy for them to pull the trigger on that, make that decision. And that's exactly what they did. I have a chapter in my book about crime and education and that intersection. It's called What's Killing America in the name of the book. Uh, In it, I talk about all of these examples around the country in which they made the decision and then they immediately regretted it because there was some kind of violent act on campus. Whether it was a shooting in some cases, Pomona uh, School District in California, a great example of that. They had some uh, kid walking home after class and there was some sort of drive-by shooting and the kid just happened to be nearby. But it was like one block, two blocks away from the campus, one of the campuses of the schools. And glass was shattered. It ended up hurting this kid who thankfully was otherwise unharmed. But then immediately said, oh, you know what? We got to take our our responsibility seriously. This was a mistake. We got to walk it back. And one of the reasons why they decided at the time to kick them off campus was that and, and I quote a kid in my book who is um, I can't remember if the kid was merely Mexican-American or immigrated here. I don't remember, but she said, oh, you know what, kid, there are a lot of kids here who are also Latino, and we've got Mexicans, and we've got all these. And you know what, just seeing uh, an officer is triggering because they think about officers coming to their homes and deporting their loved ones. It was something so outrageous being used as an excuse. They all regret it. And unfortunately, it takes some kind of either tragedy or a close call for them to realize it. For all the schools out there who haven't had that realization yet, why don't you act preemptively? Preemptively say something bad is eventually going to happen. We might as well do the prudent thing and bring them back. Because you never know what can happen. For example, this very this next story could have very easily happened at Kamiak High School, we told you the story, I think it was on Friday, of a student who ended up getting shot at a bus stop. Well, that kid died. He was just 15 years old. And surprise, surprise, just as I suspected, because whenever there's a drive-by shooting, I say it's gang-related. Not necessarily the victim was in a gang, but there's some sort of gang connection. And in this case, apparently the victim was, in fact, connected with the gang. That, according to the prosecuting attorney's office out in Snohomish County, or at least the police department giving documents to them, they said that both the victim and the shooter were in rival gangs. Now, the accused possible shooter is 20 years old. And we say possible because he was in a car with others, and we don't necessarily know if this was the person who pulled the trigger or simply driving the car with someone else who pulled the trigger. Here is Adam Sturdevant, with the Snohomish County Prosecuting Attorney's Office, Tacoma. He at very least is an accomplice. He provided the gas that put the car at the bus stop, not to mention the fact that he was found with a loaded firearm at the time of his arrest. 
Yeah, not not looking too good for him. Now, what is interesting, or, or I shouldn't even say interesting, what is tragic and alarming in this story, Como says this 15-year-old victim was shot at two days before he was murdered. And then they say there was another time before that, about a month before that, same thing happened where he was shot at. And an officer at the time who was investigating, who was involved, talked talk to the teen and to his mother and said, look, you're getting threats made against you by rival gang members on social media. Maybe you ought to get out of a gang and turn your life around. Como's now reporting investigators said video surveillance from Friday shows a dark car make several passes by the bus stop. The teen who got shot was standing there along with two others. On the final pass, the car made. Two witnesses said they saw a gun through an open window and heard the shots. Now, the good news is they caught at least one of the people suspected as being involved in this. And hopefully that person will pay a steep price. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Media bias. I said yesterday and I said last week in my exclusive story about an SPD officer who happens to also be the vice president of the Seattle Police Officers Guild, that he would be smeared by local media. And while I was shocked that one local outlet didn't quite smear him the way that I thought, I otherwise saw exactly what I predicted. To give you the quick recap, an officer went down to the scene of a accident that ended up killing a pedestrian. A officer was driving fast, reportedly 70 plus miles per hour, to respond to a priority one call when he hit and killed a pedestrian. It was completely an accident. It wasn't the fault of the pedestrian. The officer was driving too fast, didn't see it, didn't react fast enough. So this officer, Dan Otterer, goes down and he's their drug evaluation analyst. I forget the exact term, but basically goes and checks to make sure that the officer wasn't impaired at the time. So he does the check, clears the officer who was not impaired at the time in his view, gets into his patrol vehicle and drives home for the night. This was back in January. Now, because he's the president of Seattle Police Officers Guild and this involves this incident involves a member, he called the president, Mike Solon. Now, during the conversation, Mike Solon lamented the fact that you're going to have a bunch of lawyers at City Hall try to lessen this victim's value because that's what lawyers do. They're, They're paid to do that. It's not necessarily a criticism. But it is just a reality that you're trying to get out of paying a whole bunch of money. And after he made the comment along the lines of what kind of crazy argument could they make, Dan Otterer then made a joke mocking the lawyers. That is the context of this. Mocking the lawyers, not mocking this victim. Now, when he realized his body camera was on, he decided to self-report, which I'm told didn't happen, that I made that part up. No, I didn't. it's, It's true. He sent a letter in. He was asking for rapid adjudication. He was acknowledging that if anyone heard this without the context, I understand why they would come to the same conclusion that that you would expect them to come to, which is this is a horrible cop. 
So I said the context matters. I broke the story last week so that you would have the context. And lo and behold, suddenly, as other people are now reporting this story without the context, no context whatsoever, they're framing it around him making fun of the victim, which is just factually inaccurate. You can even tell in the video, which I posted online. I decided not to play it again because people take it out of context, but it is already up online. You can hear it. He's clearly responding to the person on the other line. Now, with that context, as I said yesterday, you can have the same takeaway as someone who refuses to accept the context and say, this is inappropriate, it's gross, it's okay, fine. You get to have that position. But the context matters. And so, unless something has changed within the last few hours, every single local TV station left out the context. Radio left out the context. The only place it was even if it was presented in a disingenuous way, ironically, was Mike Carter and the Seattle Times who had this story leaked to him and I'm pretty sure was planning to do some big expose calling this officer out. Now, he did he did do a little bit of a stealth edit, which weirdly, I don't know why you can't just say you made an, a mistake. He originally wrote his article and he quoted the document that I quoted, but he said that the cop gave an interview on the show or, or to me. Not wasn't true. I mean, I said it was based on the document about 40,000 times in this article. It's hard to believe that they missed it. Don't know how. But uh, after I pointed that out, he sent me a DM. He slid into my DMs. Do the kids say it like that when they're talking about editing corrections to newspaper articles? Yeah, I believe so. When that comes up in yeah. their circles. Yeah. So he slid into my DMs to say we're making the edits. So they made the edits and they didn't note anywhere in the article that they were wrong. Just they just okay fine whatever, but he at least provided the context. He did it down at the bottom of the story or at least halfway through. I still think it was framed in a dishonest or at least disingenuous way, but at least he provided the context. It's important that we all get the context out there because this is a cop who's being dragged through the mud today. He's going to be dragged through the mud tomorrow. This is a guy who deserves support. If he did something wrong. If this was truly him making a joke about her, I would not hold this position. But I think when the person reports himself and owns up to it and says, here's the context. I get it, however, that you can't hear the other call or the other person on the line. Go ahead and punish me. I'll accept whatever's reasonable. I I tend to trust someone who does that. Am I being played? I guess maybe. But I don't think that at all. He seems like a good guy. And I know how the city treats officers. I know how the left treats officers. And he's getting just ripped to shreds online by people who have no clue what it is they're talking about. And they're all saying basically the same thing. He's making fun of a victim. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? You can't make this up. There's... What's being called a study, it's not really a study, but Social Catfish, which is an internet reverse search company that's likely used to stalk people you find attractive, but you don't know who they are or how to find them otherwise. And so you want to slide into their DMs. And so you take their photo, you put it into this machine, and it gives you, I think, the background as to where that photo has been previously used. He is, they are, Social Catfish, is reporting that Teens are getting scammed online more than senior citizens. The co-founder, Brianna McClellan, spoke with Cairo 7 TV. When I review this information with my kids, 
their first response is, oh, don't worry about me. That'll never happen to me. Um, you know, but both of my sons have been very close to being scammed online. So you're about to tell us about how to protect teenagers from being scammed online. And you're telling me your kids keep falling for it. Okay. Now, the co-founder is explaining it in this way, why this is actually happening, which is basically that scammers are getting more sophisticated. And uh, what scammers will do is create fake accounts that look just like the actual influencers account. They host like um, what they call a fake brand sponsored contest. They'll ask the winner to pay a fee, a small fee, or provide their bank account information to, to win that prize. Okay. It may be true that there's more sophisticated scams going on that teenagers are falling for. But the reason why teenagers are falling for more than this than the elderly is there are more teenagers online than the elderly. It's it's really that simple. I, I know she wants to promote her social catfish. This is one of those. The, the, this is the perfect kind of story that I love to call out every single day. Radio station, television stations around the country get press releases from different blogs and different services trying to get free press coverage. They just want their name out there. So they come out. Wallet Hub is a perfect example of this. Come out and say, here's the top 20 cities with that, that are the friendliest for pet owners, whatever. Here's the top city for elderly dating. They just come up with just random stuff. And, and many times it's completely disconnected from what it is those companies are known for. Like, why would Wallet Hub put out something like that? But they do it because then it makes for some easy... TV content, radio content, content in a newspaper, website, whatever it happens to be. But they don't really explain correctly because their end goal, and I'm not even saying their data is wrong. I'm saying they don't explain the data effectively because that's not really what this is about. This is about getting their name out there. They just want you to say social catfish. And normally I don't give them plugs like that, but there's quite literally not a single person who's listening to me right now who will even Google social catfish and use this website. I mean, I might because I found someone I found attractive and I want to know who they are and get their address and stock. But other than that, I don't think anyone is actually going to use it. I I, I certainly concede that you're going to have a bunch of uh, scam artists who are going to get more sophisticated and teenagers are going to fall for it. And I just wish they would offer us some tips on how to protect against it. Oh, they provided some tips. I love tips. I love stories that come with tips. Everything I said about Social Catfish, I take back. They're a wonderful organization because I'm going to assume that this list of tips is just going to blow me away. I'm going to look at this and be like, I didn't think of that. This is all so very practical. So the first tip, do not send money to anyone you have never met in person. And I love that idea. When the doctor's office sends you a bill, Unless it's sent by the doctor that specifically saw you, do not pay. That's great advice. I like that advice. I'm writing it down. Write it down. I said I am. I, I don't know you, and you are asking me for $50,000, but mm, okay. You have a kind soul. They ask nicely. And they did say please. And by the way, all this Nigerian prince is trying to do is get a hold of a much larger sum of money. And obviously, if all I have to do is give him my life savings, but the return on that investment will be 20-fold, you're a fool if you don't do it. Here it is. The problem is when it's a teenager doing it or some kid, they're breaking their piggy bank, they got $17.
Now, they say that's the same advice when dealing with personal information. Do not give personal information to someone you've never met in person. So if you're on those dating apps, don't tell people your name or your age. Don't tell them what you do for a living. Just be very DL, which actually will send the message that all you want is a hookup. So maybe that seems like bad advice. But basically, if someone sends you an email and they are asking for all this information, don't give any information. Yeah, no kidding. Perform a reverse search on photos, email addresses, and phone numbers to verify a person's identity. Perhaps that's what Social Catfish is for, that website. Hmm. Are they paying you? It's just so odd. It seems like they're paying you. You've You've said it a lot. Social Catfish? And then they say, always use a password manager. I don't trust password managers. So you're telling me, and maybe because I don't understand the way it works. You want me to put all my passwords into one quote-unquote manager so that the hacker only has to break into one piece of the internet infrastructure to get all of that information rather than going to each and every website and trying to guess my password? That's that's the only thing I I yeah. legitimately don't understand that one. Yeah. Maybe I don't know how password managers work. Maybe they're impossible to break into, which I sincerely doubt. Are you just supposed to write it on a post-it note and leave it on your desk? Well, only Isn't that the, the safest ones. way to do it? No, I think so. For me, for like my ATM pin, I put it on my palm. Smart. Yeah, because you know what? I'm not going to remember 1982. And you might thinking, well, Jason, that's the year you were born. <laughs> but I don't always remember that. Well, it's good you wrote it down. Yeah. You got to keep, does the ink right wear here. off? You got to rewrite it every day? No, it's permanent marker. Oh, wow. I'm thinking actually about getting it a getting it tattooed on but then i was like what if i change my password well you can always edit the tattoo you know what i just realized Hmm. i gave out my atm password i'm gonna now have to change it to 1973 what's that it's another number oh i thought that you were significant let me change it to 1973 because i stupidly i'm such an idiot telling people what my password is. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text message. 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, we're going to dive into the big local and a terrifying crime that is starting to hit a bunch of people in the Renton area. Oof, it's going to spread. We'll tell you what it is when we come back. At the station during regular business hours. Snoqualmie, Mercer Island, Des Moines. This is the Big Local on the Jason Ranch Show. Shoreline, Woodenville, Burien. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that. It's 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for the Big Local. Brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. Online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore stories coming out of Seattle. Instead, we focus on the communities you live in and care about most. We start in Renton because Renton PD is saying that they're starting to see a pretty crazy crime scam going on. And that's not doing this justice. You've got criminals who are staging fake car accidents. Or at least they're causing the car accident on purpose. And then they end up carjacking the vehicle that they just hit. Renton PD says they're starting to see a little bit of an uptick of this very specific kind of crime. And the last one that they saw was just a few days ago. 
happened in the evening. A driver was leaving the Renton Walmart parking lot and a car hit them from behind. The guy was driving with, they just say two juveniles. I'm assuming it's uh, the person's two kids. Now, the driver pulls over, checks on his kids, say, hey, is everything all right? Is everyone okay? It wasn't a serious, it was just a little bit of a tiny bump. But he wanted to double check. And it was at that point where he saw three people jumping out of the other car that hit him. They open his door. One of them sat in the back seat next to the kids, pointing a gun at them. And then ordered everyone to get out of the car, which, of course, they did. And the criminals then drove off. Now, King Five says a similar incident took place in Maple Valley in late August. In that case, they say a woman reported that she had been rear-ended. Then a person got out of the vehicle, approached her with a gun. They say in all, five suspects exited the vehicle, carjacked the woman's car, and then fled the scene in both cars. Police in that case, they were able to make a, well, a connection with them that said that they ended up going on a high-speed chase in which they crashed and the driver of the car was killed. The two passengers were injured. This was when they struck that tree. I didn't realize at the time that that was the, because we covered this story when it happened, that this was tied to this kind of crime. Now... The first thing I thought of in this situation is I and I legitimately it's going to sound a little bit funny, but it's is this going to lead to reverse hit and run scenarios where you are the victim of a hit and run, and but you're the one who's running away because you're now terrified that this is because ha- if that happened to me in Renton, my even though it's not happening that often, but because this is now top of mind, if I got rear ended in Renton or Maple Valley. I'm not stopping. I'm just driving. <laughs> like it, it is. It's one of those things where I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to respond when we hear something like this. I mean, I suppose if you are in fact rear-ended, assuming everyone is okay and it wasn't a serious accident that you would assume wasn't intentional, just be more hyper-aware of the people who are getting out of the car behind you and then just kind of floor it. But if. <laughs> I don't, but that if you get hit from behind, I'm assuming the person behind you would get out of the car and check on check in on you. So what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just, I mean, you're already in a car accident. You're already like rattled, right? That's why this is yeah. even more scary. You're unsuspecting, and then oh yeah, all of a sudden you're getting carjacked. It's terrifying. And it's an armed carjacking. That's the the even bigger issue here. Now, because I do love tips, Rendon PD did offer some tips on how to protect yourself. Now, the first one was kind of what I just said, which is pay attention to to your surroundings. So if someone who's shady looking, maybe they're all wearing masks and you notice a gun in one's hand, generally that's a red flag. Not always. But if it's Halloween, you know, no, it's that's obviously a red flag. So that's going to be of concern. This this one makes very little sense to me because now they're saying you should basically be on the lookout for someone who's targeting you. They've been sort of following you and you fear that they're going to do something like this to you. They say, if you're leaving a parking lot, drive a lap or two around the lot 
to see if anyone may be following your movements. And actually, the way that that's written makes it sound like you're preemptively assuming you're being followed and you're just making sure. That's paranoid. <laughs> That, that you don't assume someone's following you all the time? Well, no, I always assume people. I'm a Jew. Of course I'm paranoid and neurotic. It's, I don't understand. Is that a stereotype? Yes, it is. If you feel like you're being followed, drive to a police station that's open 24-7. Aren't all police stations open 24-7? Maybe not in Renton. They say, or go to an emergency room because they're going to beat you up anyway. You might as well get, no, they say because it's a high traffic area. Don't look at me like you weren't thinking that. Because <laughs> they're going to beat you up. In it. Yep, that's, yeah, you that's go what them. I was thinking. Yep. They say if you're hesitant to exit your vehicle after a collision, drive to a safe location while calling 911 and let dispatch know why you left the scene and where officers can meet you. But again, that's the other thing. Again, if you're the victim, why do you have to call anyone? Right? Unless you were the reason. Again, I, I'm... I'm living in the world in which this scenario is happening and you are the victim. You didn't like hit your brakes and then cause someone to hit you. And it's not. And that in that case, it would be your fault. But if it's not your fault, do you really have to to exchange anything? I mean, you Isn't would call you? to report the accident, right? Why would you call to report an accident if you're otherwise thinking I'm just going to drive away? That's all I mean. I don't know. And if you're the person who hit the, the, the other car... And they drive away. You're not sticking around. I would be like, I, I guess I dodged a bullet on that one. And then just drive off yourself. Would you wait? What are you supposed to wait for? The, on, on the chance that he's going to or she's going to call the cops and, and say it happened and say, I'll be back. But, you know, I was scared they were going to carjack me. That's That one's a weird one. Um, This is a great trend, albeit a slow one. We're seeing more arrests and charging decisions against drug dealers who are selling drugs that lead to a fatal overdose. I love this idea. I love this trend. We're starting to see it starting to to pick up, not just here in Washington, but really around the country. This one happened out in Arlington. Police arrested a guy named Robin Clarity. They say that he sold fentanyl pills that led to a fatal overdose. The Everett Herald reports the arrest came nine months after a man was found dead in a locked room in an Arlington apartment from a combination of fentanyl and alcohol. This according to an Arlington police officer. They say next to the deceased were five pills in a bag, a burnt piece of foil, and some alcohol. Now the cause of death was a combination of fentanyl and ethanol, according to the Snohomish County Medical Examiner's Office. The toxicology report found that the blood alcohol concentration was 0.145, and the fentanyl concentration was 5.3 nanograms, which is very high. Hours before, security footage showed the man in a parking lot meeting with another person identified as Claraday. This again, according to the Arlington PD. The video showed the two talking for several minutes before Clarity got into the man's car and then drove off camera. So they were able to connect this guy as the drug dealer. The reason why this is a slow developing trend is that it's still very difficult to prove these cases. It's very difficult. And here's what a lawyer is going to do in this case. You're claiming that my client 
gave him fentanyl and he died from the fentanyl. But the toxicology report says it was a combination of fentanyl and ethanol. You're also telling me that he was drinking at the time and that was a contributing factor. My client didn't give the guy booze. And by the way, even if he did, giving someone who's of age alcohol is perfectly legal. How are you going to prove that it was my specific fentanyl that killed him when if he took it without any sort of alcohol, maybe he didn't smoke it. Maybe he took it in a pill form and swallowed it. This would not have happened. So how could you blame my client on this? That's the argument that's going to happen. Now, whether or not a jury would buy that is a is another thing entirely. But I suppose it could get to the point where maybe it even gets dismissed before it even sees a jury. I just remember that California case in which they looked at this and said, yeah, no, you're you're responsible, drug dealer, and we're sending you to jail. That's actually a story we're waiting to find out what the punishment is going to be. And then finally, folks out in Tacoma who live or work around South Tacoma Way, they keep complaining about the illegal street racing that's been going on. I mean, at one point, there was a car that crashed right in front of a plant shop. So if you're a business owner and this is going on right in front of you, it's not really conducive to getting customers. TPD Detective William Muse told King 5 that, well, the car was driving fast while it was in that That's racing event. The driver of that vehicle was cooperating with officers when they responded to the scene and estimated that he was going approximately 60 miles an hour in that 25 mile an hour zone. I mean, yeah, that's generally how racing goes. I'm glad we needed a detective for that. God bless him. Alex runs a Tacoma art gallery. And she says, you know, we're seeing the ebbs and flows of this crisis. It definitely like ebbs and flows a little bit, like where it'll be like, especially during the summer months, it, it will pick up a lot. And then it'll be like, you kind of forget about it for a couple months. And then it'll be like, oh, every weekend now we're back to having the street raising. That's a, that's a tough one because you, so it's obviously an issue and you're going to push and push and push to get something done about it. And then it just stops. Well, with it, that stops the momentum you felt in, you know, maybe continuing to do your activism and getting people to join you and pushing back and, you know, writing letters or making phone calls or going to meetings and saying enough is enough. Something needs to be done. So when it happens like that and you're feeling really, really good and you just finally you got uh, an appointment to speak with the chief of police or the mayor, whatever it is, and then it just stops for two weeks, you're like, well, I mean, maybe I should cancel the meet. I didn't want to meet her anyway. She's got halitosis. I don't know. I'm kidding. I have no idea what her breath smells like. But then it happens again, and then you feel like you have to start from scratch. It, it's a it's a tough one. And I don't, I, frankly, I don't know what the answer is. I know that if, if this were Seattle, they would just say speed traps, speed cameras. But that's not the actual answer. Uh, perhaps, and just go with me, that you should, I don't know, actually punish these people when you make the arrests and put them in jail some. I, you just, I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. 1-800-465-8770. You are listening to The Jason Rand Show. Oh, yeah, you got to vote. It would have helped if you gave me a look. <laughs> you pick the news when we come back. Story number one, NFL players are ripping the league over the Injury of Aaron Rodgers. Why are they going after the league? We'll tell you. Or story number two, Whoopi Goldberg 
is defending a Republican? Why? You want to find out? Pick that story. 1-800-465-8770. Pick the topic on the Jason Rand Show. Indeed you do. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, who got injured last night about, what was it, the fourth play or after the fourth play? Fourth play, yeah, yeah. And, you know, unless you hate Aaron Rodgers, which apparently a lot of people do because I saw a lot of people making fun of him, um, you hate to see something like that happen. His, I think his Achilles heel fell off. Uh, or got lost, not in something with the Achilles heel. And it was one of those weird moments because it didn't look like he was injured. at, Or at least you didn't look at the play and say, oh, well, that's going to end his his season for sure. It was it just right? Or am I crazy? Yeah, well, it didn't look that. I mean, he was standing there and then he just sat down. Yeah. But oftentimes Achilles injuries aren't super apparent right away. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened here. So folks are now calling out the league, and it's kind of interesting to me that that's what they're doing because they're basically saying, hey, you guys are playing on artificial turf, and people complain about playing on artificial turf all the time. It's definitely not good for your joints. I I know that, but it's not the same as grass. And especially for teams that have to go and play on different fields, most of which are going to be grass, but then every once in a while you throw in the artificial turf, it it gets to the point where they're getting pretty upset. You had the Jets receiver, um, Randall Cobb, say, we wanted the NFL to protect the players with grass fields, but the NFL is more worried about making money. Now, I'm presuming that part of the reason why that's being said is that it costs more to maintain a grass field, especially if you want it to be, you know, a top notch stadium quality NFL quality uh, field. I I follow this, uh, at least on the soccer side, and I know how there's a lot of maintenance and upkeep. Well, and that's the point. These like Lumen Field, the turf surface lends itself better for multiple purposes, like hosting the Sounders as well. And yet, I oddly don't ever hear complaints here, like Seahawks players. No, no, I haven't right? heard a ton of that. There has been a lot of this discourse about the grass versus turf in the NFL in general, but yeah, not and specifically I, and by the way, here. Totally get that. I, I, my guess is I would prefer to play on grass. I mean, I would never play a sport or or sweat, you know, on purpose for any reason. But I, I probably would take that position too. But it is it is kind of odd that we don't hear that here, and, and even on the soccer side, we just don't hear that here. Soccer players would prefer to play on grass. Now, at the end of the day, I, I, my guess is whether we're talking about either sport or any whatever, they just kind of want consistency, and you can't get consistency when you're going from turf to grass to grass to turf. The, the ball plays differently, you can run differently, all of that matters. The only thing I would argue is that the upkeep is not up to the NFL. The upkeep is up to the individual team. And if you've got a team that doesn't have the best of the best who's maintaining that field, well, sure, you can argue that it also hurts the home team, but you're also going to get inconsistencies there. And let's also be fair about when it rains, when it's wet, when it's snowing. 
that also plays a significant role. And I don't know if, I guess, again, it's maybe sport to sport, you would want grass over turf because turf is going to still perform basically the same way. It'll slide a little bit more, at least on the soccer side, it'll skid. But if it's on grass, it's just going to fall. Well, yeah, the ball will just fall and and not really bounce that far. Well, there's some grungy grass fields, especially around wintertime. A lot of people remember the Seahawks-Washington playoff game in 2012 on that terrible grass field at FedEx Field. Multiple guys blew out their knee that game. So it's not a one-size-fits-all solution here, necessarily. My favorite player, David Bakhtiari. You actually nailed that. What's I don't know if he plays anymore. He was an offensive lineman for Aaron Rodgers with the Packers. I, I knew that. Oh, I was about to say that. He's my favorite player. He tweeted, congrats, NFL. How many more players have to get hurt on artificial turf? You care more about soccer players than us. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Is he still your favorite? <laughs> well, don't bring soccer into this. Again, soccer players would prefer to play on grass fields that are up you plan to remove all artificial turf for the World Cup coming up, so clearly it's feasible. I'm sick of this. Do better. Well, with all due respect, changing it one time and putting the surface for the world is a little bit different than having to do the upkeep. Every Is it up to the league or is it up to the teams? I think it's up to the individual teams and stadiums. So why is everyone bashing on the NFL? Are they, they could mandate it league-wide. I guess. Shouldn't you be upset with the team or the players? especially if you're the one playing on artificial turf and you're the home team. It's the Jason Ranch Show.